Hello there, my name is Kathleen, and this is The Osborne Tapes, the re-release of the Analyst Corner podcast with Debbie Osborne. The guest on today's episode is Jim Mallard. Jim has served as the technology director for the IACA since 2004, and is also a curriculum developer and instructor for the ISCA and the National Institute of Justice. In 2008, he received the Innovations in Crime Analysis Award for his work automating CompStat. So, with Jim being the guest on the show, technology is the topic of the hour in this episode. Jim and Debbie talk about the misconceptions of the job title of crime analysts and discuss the expectations set by police, court systems, and law enforcement. So, the technology discussed includes popular crime analysis software used by law enforcement, GIS crime mapping, and public safety agency data. The significance of this topic is seen in the promotion of doing meaningful analysis work and expanding data collection methods used in agencies, specifically utilizing shared information with public safety agencies as well as other public resources and open data. So as you listen to this episode, listen to how Jim recommends utilizing your own software to take inventory of what you have and what you might also be missing. So now it's time to get into today's episode. Welcome to Analyst Corner. It's August 29, 2008, and I'm Deborah Osborne, a writer and former analyst. My guest today is Jim Mallard. Jim is the winner of the 2008 Technology Award from the International Association of Crime Analysts. He is the Crime Analyst Supervisor for the Arlington, Texas Police Department, where he manages a team of five analysts. He previously worked for the Gainesville, Florida Police Department, where he developed his interest in fusing technology with crime analysis and Jim is also the webmaster for the International Association of Crime Analysts webpage. Good morning, Jim. How are you today? Good morning, Deb. I'm doing good. How are you doing? Great. Thanks for agreeing to come on my experimental show, Analyst's <laughs> Corner, um, which so far is going pretty well and is a, way, um, a new way for analysts to use technology, by the way. It's a first. It is. Um, we were, before we decided to do this show, um, and, and schedule it, we were just dis- discussing via email what we might talk about. But one thing before we get into the technology I'd like to talk about is what I think of as CSI syndrome. When I was a working crime analyst and I would tell anybody I met anywhere that I was a crime analyst, they would say, oh, I love CSI. And <laughs> first of all, a crime analyst, the job we're talking about as being a crime analyst has nothing to do with forensic evidence out in the field, but um, the technology that we see on the show, crime scene investigations, and the technology most police departments have are very, you know, are very, there's a big discrepancy, so maybe you could talk a bit about that. Yeah, I I get the same thing. I I don't know how many analysts I've talked to that that, uh, have the same complaint, Uh, and I do too, and I've just I have this standard thing now. No, I don't deal with bodies, you know, and and, and I reference the show numbers more than CSI, and surprisingly, people have actually seen it. Um, but but just because it's it's a little bit closer to what we do, um, and, and I'm not sure, you know, how that that came about. But um, uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, a lot of things that we do that that is is very very different from what the people's perception and that CSI effect, it not only for crime analysts, but also for, uh, for juries. I mean, the expectation is that for, for the most minor burglary case, you're going to have, you know, DNA and, and fingerprint evidence and, and 
all sorts of elaborate um, evidence to support a, a basic burglary case, and you know we know that that's not the case, but that's the expectation of people. Um, it's actually kind of difficult to explain to people what crime analysis is because the field is relatively young. It's not well publicized. It's not uh, prevalent in in uh, universities and colleges around the country, even though it's getting more and more exposure. Um, but we, we we face an uphill battle. <laughs> and, and part of it, I think, is a semantic issue because you have you know, criminologists, crime analysts, um, crime scene analysts. I mean, the, the terminology is very, very close, and I guess maybe we shouldn't expect the general public to be able to, to discern the, the, the differences. Right. And just even the state of art in te- of technology in general in police departments is much lower, even if we were doing those things. And then it, it, we also have the intelligence analysts viewpoint, which, and you know, my goal is to, you know, grow the awareness of the value of both and so that we would understand what crime analysts do, which is basically look at crime incidents and try to um, understand in a certain jurisdiction what we can know about crime incidents so that we could prevent crime or apprehend criminals. And where intelligence analysts are usually looking at criminal, specific criminals or criminal organizations and studying them. And we really need to do both when we're working in law enforcement. But technology, what does fusing technology with crime analysis mean? Well, I don't think that that technology necessarily means um, buying the latest, greatest gadgets and and amassing a large inventory of software and, and hardware necessarily. I think there's a lot of tools out there that we... Uh, don't use enough of, um, that we don't use enough of, of the sort of hidden features of, if you will. There's a lot of, of great tools that are uh, that everybody has on their computer, like Microsoft Office, for example, and, and we don't necessarily use those to the greatest extent. And we don't typically look beyond law enforcement for, for new ideas about different types of software that we can use. And what I mean by that is that there are other disciplines that, that use um, different tools that do have applicability in our field, but we don't often go out there. Um, the first example that comes to mind is the animal movements extension um, for ArcGIS, which is our, our primary crime mapping software, one of the, the primary packages that we use. And that extension was, was basically used for wildlife ecology, uh, studying caribou. Um, but some really smart people got together and said, you know what, this, this makes sense for us as well. And so we were able to adapt that and take those those ideas and apply them into crime analysis. And a, another example is um, sort of the emerging field of, of text analytics and unstructured data analysis and the ability to um, recognize that, that not every uh, piece of information that we work with is going to be in a, in a field and it's not always going to be formatted the way we want it to be. Um, you know, data is the currency of crime analysis. I think Chris Bruce said that once. It, it's... Um, it's what we operate off of. So we have to, you know, go out to other fields, whether it's the insurance industry, the banking industry, and take a look at different tools that they're using and figure out how we can apply them into crime analysis. Um, my, my background back in the day, my degrees in archaeology, and and I never thought that that, um, you know, some of the ways that we used ArcGIS even back then in surveying tools. I mean, we were basically using the same surveying tools that you would see. Uh, you know, a road crew using. Um, so there's a lot of cross-disciplinary um, opportunities to use different tools. So I think it, it behooves us as analysts to take a look at, um, you know, different 
different people, what different people are using, and, and try to think of ways that we can incorporate that into uh, our workflow. And that that actually is a, should be a topic of a future show because that's something I feel strongly about. I know um, having a being close to someone who is a doctor, I. I would meet people in the medical field, and they would say, oh, crime analysis is epidemiology. They yep. knew what it was, that if you're working in a city and you're analyzing the crime incidents, it's, it's like you're diagnosing problems. So just like doctors would study health problems in a community, that, that would be the same type of thing we would be doing with crime. And there's so many things um, we could use. So maybe you could give an example um, of, well, how would... How would we use the animal movement extension in crime analysis? Well, if we wanted to to, to make the analogy of <clears throat> of a herd of caribou um, migrating from feeding area to feeding area, or um, if you were looking at predation activity, um, you know, one critter eating another critter, mm-hmm. uh, you could take that same idea with with crime. I mean, fundamentally, um, crime is is behavior driven. And there is a, a sort of predatory movement that that is not that different from the way um, you know animals might move. I mean, they both have have an activity space or or an area that they operate in. Um, for you know, for caribou, it may be you know this field to to that body of water to that grassy patch over there. And for criminals, it may be from my house to um, where I work to my girlfriend's house, and I may. Uh, you know, stop and break into the strip mall along the way. So there's a there's a predefined activity space, um, and so we can take a look at at what that activity space is and, and um, sort of define that area. We can look at sequencing to get an idea of of the sequential movement of a criminal as they commit their crimes um, for the ones that we've identified as being related uh, from crime one to crime two to crime three, and 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 see if there's a, actually a geographic relationship. Um, there we can take a look at, at what the distance is between the crimes and, and get a get an idea of where this person's operating. Some criminals tend to to go all around the city or, or across jurisdictions and commit offenses, and some tend to tend to be in a really really small, well defined area. And and those those behaviors are not unlike um, animals. To be honest with you, it's it's a it's a good analogy, as with the epidemiology. And so those disciplines have technology to study, or at least they've used even standard technology in new ways, different ways than we might think of to study problems that we could adapt to our own profession. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing about technology that it has actually brought, I think, the development of crime analysis and policing is crime mapping. And so I'd like to know a little bit about reviews on crime mapping and um, improving the technology we use using crime mapping. For example, well, this isn't really maybe what you we would think is important, but I think there's um, the, the new company that is taking crime data, privatizing crime mapping for some of the police agencies. I forgot the name of it. But some of the cities across the country are giving their data to this company. Right, that's uh, crime, crimereports.com. Crimereports.com. And mm. so we... Those are pin maps, so maybe you could explain for the audience, because once I, I've had more than one commander, actually, when I was working, say, well, if this is, everyone can do it, we won't need a crime analyst, but a crime maps aren't just used for the dots. Maybe you could explain a bit more about what um, the value is of 
of using other software? Well, crime, CrimeReports.com uses uh, Google, which has come uh, light years <clears throat> light years ahead of where they were a few years ago, and, and they've really made that technology accessible um, to not only to the general public, um, but to, to any Internet uh, site. You can put maps on for a variety of things. And, and this is one of those areas where I think law enforcement's a little slow to catch up. If you looked at um, the real estate sites, you know, three or four years ago, every realtor site has uh, some, some type of map on there where they're mapping homes for sale. And, and there's a lot of, of different uses. Uh, any any uh, commercial website, you know, Home Depot, Lowe's, whatever, uh, they have the store locator thing on there, and you put in your zip code, and you find all the stores that are that are in your area. And and it's only very recently that law enforcement's taken a look at that and said, hey, we can we can adapt that for our needs as well. Um, so Google provides a great a great opportunity to incorporate their mapping technology into whether it's a police internet site or in the case of CrimeReports.com, um, some really smart programmers on their end who just take the data and and map it out. Now the result of that, as you mentioned, is a pen map. And in crime analysis, we try to to talk about uh, getting beyond the pen map and it not being the the final product. Unfortunately, I think. With the advent of things like Google Maps, it, it's building an expectation that pin maps are the final product. So it's actually creating a, an additional burden for us to try to get beyond that because we do have some other techniques. Um, one thing that Google Maps doesn't do is, is graduated symbol maps, which are basically showing the number of incidents at each location um, and that vary that point by size. So the larger the point, the more crimes that are there. You don't really see much of that. Um, or uh, density analysis showing you know hot spots intensities of areas as opposed to discrete locations like points do and in in G GIS software the uh, if you have ten incidents at the same location they're all going to be on top of one another you're only going to see one point so it's impossible to look at a pin map and, and get a true sense of what the, the distribution of crimes are uh, there's a real big discussion about the value of crime mapping going on in the UK right now because they're sort of going through this discussion about um, should we should we have crime mapping, you know, as a as an institutionalized um, uh, feature, uh, or you know, should we not even look, take a look at it at all? Um, I think the reality for for crime mapping is that most commanders just want to see a pin map. Um, it's unfortunate, but I think that's just what they want. You know, just show me where the crimes are. <laughs> and and for analysts, we want to kind of get beyond that and 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 take a look at you know, where crime's actually occurring and try to do something a little more than, than just do a pin map. Um, well, and I, I interviewed um, oh, um, the analyst supervisor in Jacksonville, Florida. Mm -hmm. For some reason, my, my you know who he is. Matt White. <laughs> yeah, Matt White. Oh, poor Matt. I, I know him <laughs> very well. But anyway, Matt, um, I interviewed him for an article for my lawofficer.com monthly guest column on analysis. And he was saying that the analysts use map, the mapping software as sort of a windshield a screen. They come and they look at the crimes, but they're not just looking at where they are. It's like you can see maybe a new outbreak of crime or a few crimes in somewhere that normally doesn't have a crime. So what your goal would be if, with, tech, with the, the technology is you could click on that data and read about the crime. You could read your crime report and analyze not just the count or the spot, 
but the qualitative data, the information right. tells us what's the nature of this crime, which all those public maps don't really tell you if it was, for example, some of our listeners might not know that when there might be a break-in or a burglary, it could be just if you were reading the report and analyzing it, it would be someone who knows one another, say a boyfriend and girlfriend broke up and the boyfriend came back and took the things, and that was a burglary because they broke in. Right. So you right. can't really know that by looking at the dots. That, that's exactly correct. And, and w- what, what we know intuitively, but what the public may not realize, is that, is that behind that point there's a lot of attribute data, sort of what you're talking about. Um, there's information about the nature of the crime, the relationship between the suspect and the offender, um, when the crime occurred, not just where it occurred. We tend to focus with, the, with pen maps on, on geography, but we sort of leave out the temporal aspect. And so what we can do, and, and I know Matt's done some work in this area, is, is incorporating the, the temporal analysis aspect as well. And so you can, within uh, the GIS software, you can uh, look at the same layer in a bunch of different ways. You can look at not only the location, but you can look at um, you know, when the crimes occurred, uh, what types of property were taken, um, what the, the, the relationship is. And, and those things can all assist an analyst in determining what is and isn't related or what may or may not be related. Uh, so there's a whole lot more data. And you're absolutely correct. When, when we ship that out to something like CrimeReports.com or even, even here in Arlington, when we put that on our intranet, uh, we don't uh, put a lot of that attribute information out there. And, and even if we did, the, the mechanism for, for actually analyzing it really isn't there yet for the general public. I mean, it's, it would be on a click-by-click basis, and you would look at each point um, and read a little bit about it, but it would, it would still not be really, really an analytical perspective on the data. So, um, you know, Matt, Matt and his team are doing a tremendous job, and a lot of, of ideas that I've incorporated um, here and when I was in Gainesville as well, are based on a lot of the creativity that Matt brings to the field, um, just looking at, at things in different ways, and, and also looking at um, offenses that, that already have an arrest for. Sometimes it, from a tactical perspective, you know, we, it's great to know that there's an offense there, but we also want to know where the arrests have occurred, which ones have been cleared, which ones haven't, who do we need to focus on. If, if you had, for example, uh, a series of, of residential burglaries in a neighborhood, and there was a rest made in one, well, that would be pretty important to know. That would be a great starting point for looking at the other ones and, and determining if that offender may be related to the, to the other incidents in that neighborhood. So. And another thing might be looking at calls for service. I know Chief Tom Cassidy um, in Lincoln, Nebraska, would talk about looking at sex offense complaints, like someone, somebody, some kind of call for service, 911 call or that might have that you know, kind of somebody um, exposing themselves and looking at sex offender data, looking at the calls that were related to sex offenses and looking at sex crimes and, and possibly preventing some kind of incident from growing, someone who's just exposing themselves from committing a crime by getting, like, who's been arrested before, who do, what do we know. So there's many layers of data that can be analyze together. A- absolutely. And, and Chief Cassidy is, is a, a pioneer among pioneers. He, he's a, a very, very creative leader in the field, and, and it's so impressive to see a police chief take such an active role in, in crime analysis. There are a lot, of, a, a lot of layers, and I think a lot of analysts may not even consider some of the data that, that may be available to them. Um, 
when I was in Florida, uh, I got data from from the, the Department of Motor Vehicles, uh, you know, just just vehicle information, and and uh, got information from the um, uh, from the state regarding who was on on uh, parole. Uh, those types of things, you know, they're not they're not readily available, but you start talking to people and you you start incorporating that data into your uh, into your analysis, and it provides some some different perspectives on things, and and that those things bring us closer to having real-time, big-picture um, ability to look at, at crime that's going on and, and be able to, to make some decisions about what we need to do. Uh, but a lot of people, I, I think, just don't ask. And, and that's why it's great when you have things like conferences, like the, the uh, International Association of Crime Analysts Conference is coming up next month, well, uh, in October, not quite September yet. Uh, and, and those conferences are a great opportunity for, for people to come together and talk about you know what? What data are you using? What data are you using? Uh, who do you who do you talk to to get this and that? Um, so there's a lot of information out there. And sometimes, but I'll give you a perfect example. Uh, we pen maps uh, are based off of the the concept of geocoding, basically taking a, an address and matching it to some point on the planet. Uh, we typically geocode using a street center line. You know, we use the the streets to put our points. But the utility departments, um, the ut uh, municipal utilities or, or deregulated utilities, have uh, points for, for meter locations, and the meters are always next to the house. So that provides a great source of data that we can use to, to map our crimes more accurately. But, but again, it's sort of one of those cross-disciplinary fields things. The, the, uh, the people in utilities, they don't know about crime analysis, and they don't know that the data they have would be useful to us. And some analysts don't realize that that they keep that data. So it's important that we get together and we share the information that we've acquired, and we we help one another to to be familiar with what the options are out there, so that we can make our um, our analysis more meaningful, more relevant, based on on data that we can collect. And and a lot of times it's free. I mean, it's not it's not something that you necessarily have to buy. Right, and I think it's important also that not just analysts understand that, but that um, people working in the government, like in um, city government or town government, know the value of sharing their information with, with their public safety agencies so that, you know, we can all be looking at the community more holistically in a global way so that we can understand our problems and work on them together. Yeah. But um, I want to go back to Microsoft Office because, when I, unfortunately... When I got hired as a crime analyst, I did not have any computer skills, and luckily I had time to learn a lot of things over slowly because it was a new position and there weren't the expectations weren't clear. But I did not know how to use Excel pivot tables till I was an analyst for years, and they were became like my most wonderful tool. So your best friend. <laughs> they were. I, I would never think I would be saying like Excel. I just love Excel, and even now, um, I just. I did training in June, and I sh I showed the students how to use the pivot tables, and they were like, oh, my God, it could save me. You could do in, in a minute what would take you hours to do um, and make very nice charts and do many wonderful things. So I think also anyone who's an analyst should go to the training sessions, go to the International Association of Crime Analysts Conference, um, network with analysts, and learn how to use the tools in Microsoft Office because those are very valuable tools to many, to, to all analysts, I think. Absolutely. And and some of the, the features uh, that I've incorporated here, 
for for our, our ComStat process, which is a, a, an accountability system that, that originated um, in the early 90s in New York City, and, and that 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 management style has has permeated across the country. So a lot of police departments, uh, including large agencies like ours, have have these ComStat processes, but they're typically very labor-intensive from the analyst perspective to try to put everything together. But some of the features in in office uh, that people don't take um, advantage of as much as I think they should are the interoperat- interoperability uh, between programs. In other words, you can create charts and graphs in Excel, and you can dynamically link them into PowerPoint. So when you update it in Excel, it's already updated in PowerPoint. And um, likewise with Access, if you create some queries in Access, you can um, link that data into Excel so that you don't have to do a lot of copying and pasting and formatting and and things of that sort. You can just open up Excel and and refresh the data, quote-unquote, and it, it'll go out to access, grab the new data, put it into Excel, create or update all the charts that you may have in Excel. And if those charts are linked into PowerPoint, then they'll be updated there as well. So um, routine tasks like ComSat is a great example of a routine thing. We do the same thing every time. And we have different time periods, but we're doing the same thing. Those are, are wonderful opportunities to take advantage of some of the automation capabilities and be able to leverage those to, to the advantage of the analyst. There are a myriad of, of different little ways that analysts can, can use Office uh, to improve their workflow. It can be little things like macros. Microsoft made it really easy to create, create uh, a, a macro, which is basically just a, a series of steps that are recorded, and then you essentially play it back, and, and it, it replicates that process. So, for example, I had uh, I don't use macros that often, but I did have a little one. Um, I I have this the tendency to always want to put a little border around pictures because I hate pictures that don't have borders. <laughs> so I just had a quick little macro. You know, you just select the picture and click the macro, and it, and it does the the uh, the border for you. And as silly as that sounds, you know, it takes it takes 15 seconds to do it by hand. It takes two seconds to do it with a macro. But if you think about time over the, the course of a week or the course of a month, those little tasks uh, add up. You know, if it takes 30 minutes to do uh, a particular request, to fulfill a particular request, and you can automate it and get it down to 10 minutes, you've cut a third of your time off. And all that time that you're saving by not doing the, the repetitive tasks, now you can devote to getting more in-depth from an analytical perspective. Um, unfortunately, we tend to, to triage a lot of things and, and just sort of, uh, you know, do very cursory analysis. And we don't, we don't, we, we see the questions like you were talking earlier on the data, the relationship between the suspect and offender. You know, was it a was it a uh, ex boyfriend or was you know was it a girlfriend or those types of things. We see those, um, but but it's often frustrating from an analyst perspective not to to literally have the time to go in and do the job that we know that we should be doing because we're caught up with some of the overhead involved. And, and part of that is a training issue. Uh, you know, As you know, a lot of analysts start out as either fresh out of college or as some other position within an agency and they get repurposed. We have uh, CALEA, which is basically the, accrediting, uh, the accreditation um, agency that certifies law enforcement agencies as, as being accredited, and part of that is uh, having a crime analysis unit. So for departments that are seeking accreditation, they may take, for example, an administrative assistant or a patrol officer or some, some person within the agency and repurpose them for to become 
a crime analyst, and and this is sort of what you're getting at, where you came from, and that the the police managers don't necessarily know what they're supposed to do. They just know they need somebody called a crime analyst. Those those people may or may not have the skills they need to to jump right in. So there's a, a tendency to have on-the-job training. And you can go to all the Excel and PowerPoint and Word classes that you want, and you'll learn a lot of things. But unless you're immersed around other analysts, it's real difficult to learn how to apply those um, skills in your job as a crime analyst. And it's it's important to be around people who come up with sort of creative solutions and, and new ways of doing things and pivot tables. I still encounter analysts that have never used pivot tables, and those are the greatest things. Yeah. But the one thing, the one thing we can't forget with all this is that all of that depends on on having good, clean data, and that's the biggest challenge of what we do. Is and and gets back to the CSI effect that we were talking about earlier. The the CSI effect for crime analysts is premised on the notion that all data we deal with are perfectly clean, perfectly structured, and ready at the moment we need it. <laughs> and unfortunately, those three conditions are never true. Right, and clean means that it's it's correct, and in, in 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 the sense that it's it's. I mean, a lot of listeners won't understand that the language, but structured means to put things put in fields the same consistent way. We we in law enforcement get very um, incomplete information with a lot of errors, and a lot of analysts spend a lot of time trying to what's called cleaning up the data. Um, and as Jim has been saying, automation really frees up analysts to do the kind of work that's really analysis, and we haven't been able to get to that point because many of us are having to answer emergency requests and invent new ways of doing work almost on a daily basis. Um, But moving on to something, we know that then technology could be just just using Microsoft Office and and using its um, potential to its potential can be the way analysts can really grow and we can improve analysis. But what about the text analytics that you were talking about? Um, That is a more sophisticated level of technology that's newer. It it is. uh, We we talked a little bit about structured and unstructured data. Structured data being the the, um, information that's in a particular database field. So it's the day of the week. It's the the type of location that it is. It's the, the address. Those are elements that are in a field. And then in a, in a police report, we have uh, a narrative, which is basically free form, um, where officers or detectives will basically just talk about the, the circumstances of the incident. They'll describe the incident um, and go into to greater detail. But that's basically just paragraph after paragraph of text. A lot of times for analysts, there's a lot of good information in there. But we don't have, uh, until recently, a mechanism to get to extract that information and to be able to analyze it particularly with the volume of information that we deal with. So so text analytics is basically um, um, software that's designed to analyze unstructured data. Uh, The tool that we use is uh, called UReveal, and it's fairly new for law enforcement. But what it allows us to do is build a a concept or an idea of something that we want to search for, and then we we can go out and look in our data and find those. Some of the things that we deal with are very somewhat esoteric, I won't say very esoteric, but somewhat esoteric. For example, copper thefts. Copper thefts can be, can, can be written as different types of crimes depending on the circumstances. It can be a theft or it could be a burglary. Uh, so we can't depend on the offense type uh, to query for copper thefts. Um, some agencies don't have 
copper theft as a as a property type, so we can't look at the property that was taken. But in every narrative, they're going to say the word copper 10,000 times, or they're going to say copper wire, copper tubing, um, so on and so forth. So we can build an idea of what, what constitutes a copper theft, and we can then use that concept to go through and look at our data. Uh, I'll give you another example. We have a huge problem here, as, as is a, an epidemic now of catalytic converter thefts. Uh, we have a tremendous number in the city of Arlington. And the problem is a lot of officers don't know how to spell catalytic. <laughs> and so we get uh, a, a wonderful variety of catalytic, the word catalytic. Um, but we can build a concept of what constitutes a catalytic converter theft, and then we can go into our data and look at that. We can also look at, at some esoteric things like gangs. Everyone's concerned with gangs, but there there really isn't a structured field for for gang. I mean, sometimes you can do gang yes, no, but, but an officer may not know that the person they're talking with is a gang member, so they may not check the box. Well, we can we can build a concept of what constitutes a gang and then use that against some other concepts of, of maybe crimes or um, types of weapons um, or, or territories or whatever, and we can look at, at how, how two gangs interact, which, which reports reference uh, you know, these two particular gangs or which guns are more popular with which gangs. Uh, we have a, a big gang problem here, and, and we're working to, to get a handle on, on what, what the nature is of that gang activity. Um, but some of the limitations in the data are, are uh, part of the problem. But with UReveal, and, and bear in mind, this is a tool that we've just recently um, implemented, we're just now building up our, our concept bank, and we're just now getting to the point of being able to look at our data and answer some of those questions that, that we can't, could not have answered previously. Uh, there's a big push in, in law enforcement to, to have data sharing. Uh, and, and while I'm I don't have a problem with sharing the data, but I do um, have a problem when we're sharing data and we don't know what's in our own data. So this tool allows us to go out and find out what's in our data. It also has a learning component, so we can basically unleash it on our data and let it tell us what it finds. So we can find some things about, find new information about our data that we, maybe we didn't even know. And, and this is, the officers may not know because they don't talk to every, all the officers don't talk to all the other officers. Um, and the detective who writes a, a supplement to a report or an additional narrative to a report, uh, they may not know that the information they included is relevant to a different crime. So these tools, types of tools, help us out. There's a few different tools that are just now breaking into the market. Is certainly the one we have is the only one. Uh, but, but I think within the next five to ten years, you will see more and more agencies using this type of a tool to overcome some of the problems that are inherent in the data that we use. And, and um for listeners, I became involved. I'm on the board of advisors for um, IX Reveal, the makers of View Reveal. Although I've never used it, because because Matt White told me about it, and I just really love the idea of building up this ability to share those concepts with other agencies. So let's say Matt White is using You Reveal, and he builds a concept. He can share it with you in Arlington, Texas, so that people don't actually always have to share data, they can share the concepts so that we don't have to keep on reinventing the wheel. Absolutely. And I just believed in that idea so much because I know so much of our time is spent <clears throat> trying to figure things out so the more we can help each other. And also sharing the concepts takes away some of that worry that people have that someone's going to use their data improperly. 
Sure. Some of the concepts, uh, in fact, we have some of uh, Jacksonville's concepts in our in our software right now. Um, some of them can be shared very easily. Uh, for example, colors, uh, weapons, vehicle types, uh, common names. Some some things are very easy to be shared. Some things aren't. Uh, for example, our gangs. Uh, there there are some uh, nationwide gangs that that we could share concepts with, but. But uh, you know, we we have to build some of our own concepts. But but there is a, a large pool of concepts that we can share. And I know that the vendor is talking about building a, um, a basically a web-based uh, portal that where people can share concepts on a more formalized basis. And I think as the as this and other types of text analytics software becomes more prevalent, you'll see that that ability to share information. And it also helps new departments uh, or departments with this new technology to be able to get up and running a lot quicker. Um, so. Uh, and the other thing uh, in terms of sharing concepts is is uh, <laughs> you wouldn't believe this, and I don't think the public even knows that that there are different words for different things in different places. Um, for example, uh, you know, a, a sliding glass door in Florida is a is an Arcadia door in Arizona. <laughs> uh, you know, different things like that. So if you're building a concept on on what that sliding glass door is, you have to keep in mind of how your officers in your area might type that out in their narratives. So. Right. And, for example, in Buffalo, a car break-in is called um, a car pop. You know, oh, nowhere wow. else in the whole <laughs> country is it called a car popping. Yeah, I've never but, heard that. But here it is in Buffalo. So someone might write down, write something down, or let's say you can't even find out all your, your car break-ins because it could be classified as a criminal mischief, just vandalism, like it might have just been an attempt, or it was a larceny, they stole something. But there is no one crime for breaking in a car in, in New York State. So you have all those issues. But back to the concept thing, on, but copper theft and metal theft is global problems, so analysts could share that. A lot of those, um, those that concept could be used so that people aren't having to put wire, copper, pipe, um, urn, cemetery urns are stolen. There's so many things that, that you could build this big concept and never have to do it again so you could find out all the possible crimes that are related to to this big theft problem we have in, in all over the world, actually. Absolutely, I have I have some some Google alerts set up to to let me know about copper theft um, and and catalytic converters as well. And and I see both of those are are truly global trends. I get I get news articles from from. Uh, the UK and, and other places talking about encountering the same types of problems that we have. Uh, so, so the criminals aren't. Uh, <laughs> sometimes I think it's in my conspiratorial um, mood that you know there's this big conference that the criminals attend, and that's where they learn the techniques for for going out and doing everything. And then <laughs> you start to see the the emergence of of new ways of doing things and. And we have to remember too, again, this interdisciplinary idea that that uh, some of these things are driven by factors that are beyond our field. Copper thefts, for example, catalytic converter thefts, driven by the price of precious metals that, they, that are contained within the catalytic converters. So we need to be cognizant from an analytical perspective of of those other fields and and know who to talk to and know how to find out what the changes in are in those prices. Copper, I think, is has doubled or tripled in the last few years. Uh, and as those prices change, that causes more and more um, copper thefts to, as a result. And and they'll pretty much steal anything from a from a, a bleacher at a at a football stadium to a light pole to uh, an air conditioning unit. I mean the the, the you know copper wiring out of a new construction. It, it, it's it's so variable in terms of what types of items they'll take. So you can't you could never create a list of property that would be all inclusive of what copper is is a part of. I mean even motors have you know the copper wiring inside of them. 
but but you can easily build a concept that describes the nature of a copper theft. Um, if some, as I suppose a number of our listeners will not be in law enforcement, and and some will be police managers, and some will be citizens or people who work in city government. What kind of technology should a police department have and invest in for crime analysis, and and um, why? Well, there's a, there's a few different things. Um, one, uh, we talked about Microsoft Office, and I think most agencies are going to have that uh, anyway. Um, most most agencies need to have some uh, some capability to to store data, so some database, whether it's a SQL Server, Oracle, or or Microsoft Access. On some basis, they need some data storage and maintenance tool. Um, for crime analysts, uh, some some type of mapping tool, and there are are a variety of mapping tools out there uh, that that can take you to different levels, and depending on what your needs are, so you need some some capability of mapping. Depending on the size of the agency, some type of, of visualization software, which would be something like, uh, for example, Analyst Notebook, the ability to put a criminal organization on paper and to visualize the relationship between people. Because when, you, when you're talking about gangs, for example, or criminal enterprises, um, you get lost in the names pretty quick. And it's, and it's impossible in some organizations to see what the relationships are between people. So you need some capacity to, to visualize uh, the, the relationship between um, crimes. But um, before any agency goes out and buys uh, you know, a bunch of new software, I think that you should take an inventory of what you already have. And it's important for the analyst to network and find out new ways of using things that they already have. Um, some type of reporting software would, would also be uh, a requirement, some, some ability to create reports, and whether that's through Crystal Reports or Microsoft Access or uh, any number of other tools, you, some capacity to create reports. I find that some agencies already have the parts they need. They just don't know how to put them together. And so right. it's, not, you know, it's, not a, it's not a money issue. Or uh, Sometimes agencies say, well, we're not getting what we need to get now, so I think if we buy something, that'll be our solution. When in reality, if you just look at what you have, um, you might be able to combine what you already have in a, in a new way. And small departments can use some of the low-cost things like Visio software for visualization if their needs aren't as intensive as what Analyst Notebook provides. Or even, or, or, or even cheaper than that, go with RF Flow. It's 50 bucks. Mm -hmm. um, you know, a Visio runs three or four hundred dollars. Uh, for fifty dollars, you can get RF Flow, which is a pretty pretty decent charting tool for for fifty bucks. Um, and and crime mapping, I mean, you've got streets and trips and and uh, map point. So within a few hundred dollars, you can have a mapping tool, or you can invest in in uh, you know Google if if you have someone who can do some some basic programming to get the Google Maps or Google Earth, for example. Tom Cassidy's real big on on Google Earth and has incorporated into his his um, uh, department really well. So, so there are a lot of, uh, and there are open source um, opportunities too uh, for people who want to go that route. You don't have to buy the really, really expensive software. Um, it, it's generally true that the the more expensive a uh, package is, the the more features you're going to get. But you know, you have to take a look at what you what you really need to do. And if and you can use them, and if you're going to have the training. Absolutely. If the, if the training is not included in it, then the the software is useless. And and for some of the pro programs that we use. The, the knowledge and the, the skill sets are very specialized. They require not only initial training but ongoing training and also networking with other analysts who are using those products. That's the only way you can get, get what you need to get out of it. I think one of the reasons why technology fails in a lot of departments is because they forego the, 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 the institutionalized training. 
In other words, they may say, okay, well, we're buying this new thing. We'll send you to a two-day training, and then that's it. And then the the commitment is now, okay, do something with this. Uh, well, I, I've read studies where, including the investment in a good RMS system where you can get the data out for analysis, that's so important. Records management systems fail analysts also, but that at least over 50% of the technology investment has been failure, like it's like the example the FBI was trying to develop that database where it didn't provide what what was needed by right. the users. But um, we only have a couple minutes left, so um, I definitely want to have you come back and do another show, um, especially I would really love to hear more about cross-discipline ideas because I think that can really help the field grow. But um, do you have some closing words for about technology for our audience? Well, I would say I would say uh, for analysts, um, um, uh, you know, take the time, uh, do everything you can to to go to conferences and try to network with other analysts. Take advantage of some of the the email lists and websites that are available, and and do everything you can to educate yourself about the software that you have. Even though you you may not be able to do everything that you want to do, you may have the pieces you need. And you just need to put them together. Uh, I would say that for for police managers. Uh, really recognizing that crime analysis is a long-term investment, not only in, in hardware and software, but also in training and support. It's it's critical for a successful crime analysis unit to have the upper-level support. Um, when an analyst comes to you and says, hey, I need to go to this conference, um, they're not saying that because they want to go golfing. They're saying it because mm-hmm. there are other analysts out there that they need to be in constant, 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 communication with and sometimes you can't necessarily do that through email some of the some of the the best ideas i've ever heard were were um over a frothy bev- beverage at a local watering hole right. <laughs> so. and i can't i can't over i agree totally um what i would um urge people to do is to to contact to go to the iaca website and see jim's great work there www.iaca.net right jim mm-hmm. and um, also to explore coming, going to the conference in October or future conferences. Some regional crime analysis associations exist. You can find out more on those. And um, the value that crime analysis can provide to the community is immense. Um, good analysts can add to to the understanding of, of what the nature of problems are in your jurisdiction. So learn as much as you can about that. And thank you very much, Jim, for coming on the show. Thanks, Deb. I appreciate it. Okay, I hope to see you soon then. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.